All right. Next Sunday. Next Sunday is a big Sunday. It's a big Sunday here at church, but next Sunday evening is a really big event. It may be the biggest, if not the biggest event in all of sports. Next Sunday evening is the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is the NFL, the National Football League's championship game. And there are two teams involved in that game next week. Two teams that are pitted against each other. Look at the flags on the screen. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, if you're not familiar with sports, if you're not familiar with football, if you don't like sports, if you don't like football, hang with me. You will get the connection that I'm making very soon. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you don't know sports, the Buccaneers are represented by the skull and the two swords. The Kansas City Chiefs are represented by the K and the C. That's kind of obvious. Two teams that are going at it that are pitted against each other next week in the Super Bowl. The Tampa Bay Bucks come into the game as the underdog. They have been, they're a wild card team who has had to win three away games to get to the Super Bowl. They may be an underdog, but their quarterback is a guy by the name of Tom Brady. And, oh, we got some Brady fans. And Tom Brady has won six Super Bowls. Six Super Bowls with his previous team. That is crazy. That is a crazy amount of Super Bowls. Some people refer to Tom Brady as the GOAT, the greatest of all time, the GOAT. But it's not only Brady, they have great receivers, they have a sound defense and an excellent coach. On the other side of the game is the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year. They come in as the favorite and they have their own special quarterback, a guy by the name of Patrick Mahomes. Now Mahomes is a younger guy, but he is very good, he's very special. Some people think that eventually Patrick Mahomes is going to be the GOAT, the greatest of all time. These teams are stacked. And oh, by the way, Patrick Mahomes, if you're not familiar with him, he's the guy in the State Farm ads. He's the one that likes the ketchup, all the ketchup, or he's in the ad where they're cutting his hair. Also, he reminds me of a lot of Carson, our worship leader, one of our worship leaders. It's something about the eyes and his mannerisms. They're very similar. Carson doesn't buy it, but I'm on the platform and I got the mic so I can say what I want. <laughs> Two teams, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl next week. Now I have a few questions for you related to the game. First question. Now you may not be into football, so you can pick based upon colors or based upon symbols, that's okay. First question, who would you like to win? How many of you would like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win? Raise your hand. Oh, got some Tampa fans. Okay, we can clap for that. That's good. We clap for Jesus and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here. That's okay. Tampa Bay Bucks. Okay, how many of you like the Kansas City Chiefs to win? Oh, we got some Kansas City Chiefs fans too. Okay. Now I know about this time you Lions fans are feeling really sad. I get it. But hey, there's always next year. <laughs> We've been saying that for a long time. Okay, first question was, who would you like to win? Second question, different question. Who do you think is going to win? So Tampa Bay, who thinks Tampa Bay is going to win? Okay, 
Yeah, not so sure. Who do you think, who, who of you think that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win? Yeah, a few more Kansas City Chief people, people who think they're going to win. Okay, now, the third question. And this third question is the most important question for us this morning. If you had a choice, which team would you want to be on? Which team would you like to be part of? Which team would you like to play for? Now, if you have a crazy allegiance to one of these teams or you're aligned with one of these teams in a certain way, you may have a very specific answer for one of those teams. But if you don't, in general, which team would you want to play for? The winning team. Everybody wants to be part of the winning team. If you had a choice and you did not have some crazy allegiance or alliance, you would choose to be part of the winning team because there's a lot more reward and benefit that comes from being a part of the winning team. In the case of the Super Bowl, the winners, the players on the winning team receive more money, they see, receive more acclaim, they receive more accolades, they get a huge ring that only an NFL football-sized player could actually wear because it's so big. There's benefits and rewards that come from being on the winning team. If you had your choice, you'd pick to be part of the winning team. So, if you could see the future, you'd want to be on the winning team. If you could see the future, you'd pick the winning team. So, let's look at the future. Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. It's found on page 997 in the Bible that the church provides. I'd encourage you to grab one and follow along. If you're at home, please take a Bible, follow along with us. Revelation chapter 11. For the past three weeks, we've taken a break from the judgments that are described in Revelation. Previously, we looked at the seal judgments and we looked at six of the seven trumpet judgments. Now remember, these judgments take place in the future. These judgments take place during the great tribulation. But between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, there is an interlude. There's a break in the description of the judgments. John takes a break to share some other things with us. We learned about the bitterness that often accompanies this life. We took measurements of our lives in relation to godly attributes. And then last week, we looked at the deception that is often present in this world. We looked at the great deceiver and we saw how God calls us to be witnesses for his truth and for his grace. Now this morning, the break is over. We're back to the trumpet judgments. And we've come to the seventh trumpet, which is also referred to as the third woe. And if you're a bit like me, you're probably thinking to yourself, oh no, not any more judgments. I'm sick of hearing, I'm sick of talking about judgments. How can there even be any more plagues? But surprisingly, 
Instead of devastation and destruction, this trumpet sounds the victory. There's no judgment mentioned, just victory. This trumpet features a heavenly celebration. This trumpet features one huge victory party. Look at Revelation 11, verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. As the seventh angel sounds his trumpet, we hear loud angelic voices in heaven declaring the arrival of the eternal reign of the Lord God and his Messiah, Jesus. Now, to give this a bit of context, we need to step back 2,000 years and look at what Jesus said about this kingdom. Look at what Jesus said. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. With these words, Jesus announced the arrival of his kingdom. With these words, Jesus announced his arrival. But be clear and understand, he did not announce the fulfillment or the full establishment of his kingdom. Here in Revelation 11, verse 15, although we're in the middle of the book of Revelation, the sounding of the seventh trumpet takes us forward in time to the very edge of eternity. What is being described here is going to be more fully explained to us in Revelation 19 through 22. But here, when the seventh trumpet sounds, we see that God and Jesus, we see their kingdom has been fully established and heaven is rejoicing. This is about the living God taking on the powers of the earth and speaking over them the news that he is now in charge. This heavenly kingdom has overtaken the kingdom of this world. Now there is just one kingdom, the kingdom of God. This is a declaration of victory. Victory is God's and Jesus's. In other words, God has won. My friends, this is the future. It's coming. And now you know the future. We have said over and over again, as we study this book of Revelation, we said that we're not looking at this as an end time study. We're looking for a glimpse of the future that impacts our present. And I said earlier that if you know the future, you're going to choose, you're going to pick the winning team. This is the declaration of victory. The Lord and his Messiah, Jesus, they win. Their kingdom prevails. So for you and for me, this is the mark of victory and it is the opportunity to make sure that we are on the right team. To make sure we're on the winning team. Because Jesus wins. Now in a minute, 
we're going to look at some of the implications of the victory. But before we look at the implications, before we look at how this affects you and how this affects me, I'd like to look a little bit more closely at the victory itself. And I want you to know that this is not even a close game. This is a blowout victory and it would make for a very boring Super Bowl. Let's look at the victory. First, let's look at the opponent. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah. Think with me for a minute and consider all the kingdoms that have ruled in this world. Egyptian, Babylonian, Persian, Roman, Ottoman, various Chinese dynasties, and many more. There have been many kingdoms, but every single one of them Every single one of these kingdoms that I have listed has fallen and no longer exists. Now, what's interesting here, though, is that the word kingdom in this verse is not plural, it's singular. And that's because there's really only one true kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world is ruled by Satan. And all of the other empires of this world, every single one of the empires of this world are just his pawns. Jesus himself three times refers to Satan as the prince of this world. And we know that's true, right? We look around us and there is evidence upon evidence of Satan being the prince of this world. There are many examples that I could share with you, but one of them kept coming to my mind over and over again this week, and it was the fact that throughout the world, Christians are persecuted. Seems to maybe even be ramping up here in the United States. And I asked myself, why? Why would anyone hate Jesus? Why would anyone hate Christians? It doesn't seem to make any sense unless you understand that those people are following the prince of this world and are part of his kingdom. They're just pawns in Satan's attack on Christians and the kingdom of the Lord and his Messiah. But there's good news. The good news, the great news, is that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to one day return and the kingdom of the Lord and of his Messiah, Jesus, is going to conquer once and for all Satan and the kingdom of this world. And it is not even going to be a contest. Victory is sure. Second, Look at the length of his reign. Verse 15, it says, he will reign forever and ever. Jesus is not like any other human ruler. All human rulers eventually reach the end of their reign. Think about all of the rulers throughout history. Think of numerous pharaohs, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Alexander the Great, numerous Caesars, Napoleon, Hitler, Stalin, 
all rulers in this world. And all of them have one thing in common. They all died. My grandfather used to have a saying after he'd talk about somebody who had accomplished a lot or he heard about someone who had much acclaim, he would often respond, and he died. It's a great perspective, isn't it? And he died. See, all of the rulers of this world die. And yes, Jesus died. But Jesus rose again from the dead. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think as followers of Jesus, for those of us who have been in church for a long time, we just kind of hear that statement. We hear that phrase and we think, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, he's resurrected. No, Jesus rose from the dead. He was resurrected to life to die no more. Completely and utterly and categorically different from every other ruler. And he will reign, yes. If we clap for Tom Brady, we can clap for Jesus. He will reign forever and ever. And then third, thirdly, look at the strength of his kingdom. Look at verse 17. In heaven, it says 24 elders fall on their faces and worship God. Look what they say. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Here, God is called Almighty. And it says that God has taken his great power and begun to reign. All earthly leaders have limited power. Even Satan has limited power. It's God and God alone who is Almighty. Almighty means to possess all power and all rule. This verse, these verses speak of God's sovereignty in his omnipotence in ruling all of the universes, all of creation. Here, we're told that God exercises his absolute authority and power over the heavens and the earth. He holds all the power. It's why the psalmist, look what the psalmist writes. The psalmist writes, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. God, you are God alone. You're the only one. You're the only one who does great and marvelous deeds because you are God alone. God, by his very definition, is the one, the only one who has all power. God and Jesus are going to defeat the kingdom of this world and they are going to reign forever and ever because they are all mighty. Which leads us to the fourth and final description of the victory. The victory initiates the new reality. In fact, it's the only reality. Look again at verse 17. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Did you catch that? Did you see anything that's missing there? Yes, 
John leaves out the phrase, who is to come. He leaves out the phrase, who is to come earlier in Revelation 1 verse 8 and in Revelation 4 verse 8, it reads, who is, who was, and who is to come. This is a significant omission. It's significant because of what it reveals. It reveals that there is no longer any future. Time has ended. God has acted and the Lord and the Messiah's kingdom has defeated the kingdom of this world. This is such strong wording here. The verbs in this text are in a tense that is used to describe future events that are so certain that they can be spoken of as if they had already happened. Here, God has come. It is the reality. And because of it, there is no need to look forward to the future because the reality of the future is in the presence and we are experiencing the victory that comes when the Lord and his Messiah defeat the kingdom of this world. This is quite a victory. You know, I've often thought, I've often wondered as we've gone through this study in the book of Revelation, what someone thinks when they read this or when they hear us talking about this. I've wondered what somebody thinks who's new to the Bible, somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus. I wonder what somebody thinks who's part of the kingdom of this world. You know, we open up, I opened up this sermon this morning by saying, Let's take a look at the future. And that's not the first time we've done this. I have to think that there's some people that think this is crazy talk. I probably think some people think I'm crazy. I said this morning, let's take a look at the future. But here's the thing. People may say what they're going to say, but my friends... This is hope. This is hope in the future that bleeds into our present that gives us hope to live this life. And the hope is is what is declared in Revelation chapter 11, that the kingdom of the Lord and his Messiah is going to defeat the kingdom of this world and victory is right around the corner. So what does it mean? What does this victory mean for you? What does this victory mean for me? What are the implications of the victory? I have four implications this morning. First implication, make sure you pick the right team. Make sure you pick the right team. In the NFL, there's a number of ways that you can find yourself on any given team. You could be drafted by that team and you'd end up on the team. You could be traded to a team and you would end up being on that team. There's a third way that you can find yourself on the team and that's if you're a free agent. If you're a free agent, you have the opportunity to pick the team that you're going to be part of. You have the opportunity to pick the team that you're going to play for. 
If you're here this morning or if you're listening to me online and you have not yet picked Jesus, if you have not yet chosen to join his team, my encouragement for you this morning is to think of yourself as a free agent. You have the opportunity to pick this morning the winning team. And the good news is, is there are only two teams to pick from. You can either pick from you can either pick to be on the kingdom of this world or you can pick to be on the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, Jesus. There are not 32 teams to pick from. There are only two. And if you don't intentionally pick Jesus' team, by default, you end up on the kingdom of this world in Satan's team. So implication number one, pick the winning team. Are you on the winning team? Are you on the Lord and his Messiah's team? I want to be clear this morning. I want to clearly show you how you can pick, how you can know for sure. So take your Bibles and turn back to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. It's found on page 881. So you're going back a number of books, still in the New Testament, page 881. Now, as you're turning, I'd like you to remember that the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote the book of Revelation as a testimony of the vision that he saw for the future. John wrote down what he saw in regards to the future. John also wrote the Gospel of John, which is a testimony of the time that he spent with Jesus. One book, the book of Revelation, looks forward to the future. The other book, the Gospel of John, looks back and records the past. Now, John 20, look at verses 30 and 31. This is at the end of the gospel of John. And John provides for us a purpose statement. He provides the purpose statement for the gospel of John. And he's very clear what his purpose is in writing this gospel. Verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Now verse 31 But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John tells us why he wrote the book. He wrote the book so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. By believing, you may become part of the kingdom of the Lord and his Messiah. That by believing, you may become part of the winning team. Now jump back further. Jump back to John chapter 1. John chapter one, verses 12 and 13. Now these verses are at the beginning of John's gospel. They're at the beginning of his book. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Here, John is not using 
a team metaphor. He is using a family metaphor. Now, many people think, many people think that every person is a child of God. That's not what this verse says. Every person is not a child of God. Now, every person is made in God's image, but not every person is a child of God. Not every person is part of God's family. Not every person is part of God's kingdom. Not every person is on God's team. Well, look at the verse. Look very closely at the verse. It says that every person has the right to become a child of God. Every person has the right to become part of God's kingdom. What does one have to do to join the team? Believe. One last verse, John 3. Go to John 3. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There it is again, that word believe. Are you on the right team? Do you want to be on Jesus' team? Do you want to be part of the kingdom? Do you want to win? Pick Jesus, Pick the right team, and you do that by believing. The Greek word here that is translated to our English word is the Greek word pisteo, and it has a much more powerful, much stronger meaning than our English word believe. It means essentially all in. You are completely and utterly devoted to Jesus. You believe with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. You believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You believe that he died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. You believe that God actually raised him from the dead, that he is no longer in that grave because he is alive. You believe that he is the Lord of your life. You want to be on the winning team? Pick the winning team. Believe. Believe in Jesus. Number one, the first implication. Pick the winning team. Be on the right team. Which leads to the second implication because it matters. It matters which team you are on. Turn back to Revelation chapter 11. It really matters which team you pick because the benefits of being on the winning team are huge and the loss of being on the losing team, the loss is devastating. In Revelation chapter 11, the scene of worship and rejoicing turns to a scene of judgment, both good and bad. Here individuals get what they deserve. Look at verse 18. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, 
and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. It matters. It matters which team you choose to be on. The text here tells us that everyone is going to be judged. The people that are part of the kingdom of this world, the people who have rejected Jesus are going to be judged severely. These verses say that they're going to be destroyed. That's a strong word. This is a serious, serious warning. But notice Please notice, recognize that there is reward for those who believe in Jesus and choose to join his team. For you who have chosen Jesus, notice it says that nothing you do will go unnoticed. Jesus sees all that you do for him. He's going to reward you for everything you do for him, for his glory. Every sacrifice, every kind word, every demonstration of love, every prayer you offer, Jesus sees it. He knows what you are doing for him and for his glory. He sees it and he is going to reward everything you do, no matter how great, no matter how small. Jesus is going to reward you. It matters what team you pick. Thirdly, if you're on the winning team, act like it. If you're part of the kingdom of the Lord and his Messiah, act like it. Last week, following Tampa Bay's win over the Green Bay Packers, I watched an interview of Tom Brady. And I was so impressed with his demeanor in the interview. I was impressed by how he acted. He was cool. He was calm. He was assured. He wasn't argumentative. He wasn't overbearing. There was no bragging. There's no trash talk. It was funny, it seemed like the interviewer was kind of trying to bait him, but Brady didn't bite. He didn't get defensive. He was just cool. You know why I think he was just cool? Confident? It's because I think he knows he's a winner. How about you? How do you act? How do you respond? If you're part of the kingdom of the Lord in his Messiah, are you calm? Are you confident? Are you assured? Or are you arrogant, overbearing, and defensive? Or maybe you're just defeated and sad. My friends, you are on the winning team. The kingdom of the Lord and his Messiah wins. And if you are part of that team, if you believe in Jesus, act like it. Our most recent political season has been a good test, hasn't it? 
I know many people who claim to be on Jesus' team who don't seem to act like it. They seem real excited to be on Team Trump or Team Biden, demonstrating arrogance, overbearingness, demonstrating harshness, defensiveness, argumentativism, or maybe some just feeling defeated and sad. My friends, there are some of you who need to confess. You need to confess because you haven't acted like you're part of the team, Jesus. My friends, you're not part of the kingdom of this world. You are part of the kingdom of the Lord and his Messiah. A couple of weeks ago, Jim put up on the screen a list of godly attributes and asked us to measure ourselves by the list. His specific instructions were pick one word on the list and measure yourself. How are you doing? I sat right down here in three services and there was not one of those services that I could just focus on one of those words. In each of the services, I looked up at the list and all I could think of was how far I fell short in numerous of those attributes. The instruction's clear. If you're part of the kingdom of the Lord and his Messiah, we are to be compassionate. We are to be kind. We are to be humble. We are to be patient. We are to be generous. We are to bear with one another. We are to forgive each other. And above all else, we are to put on love. If you're on the team, act like it. And then fourth and finally, I know that many of you are here this morning and you are discouraged. You're down. This has been a difficult year. And as I look out, I see some of you and I know some of your stories and I know the discouragement of this past year, maybe this past month, maybe this past week. I know some of you have lost loved ones. I know some of you are facing sickness. I know some of you feel like life is just not going your way, that no matter which way you turn, it seems to be the wrong turn. And it's been difficult. And it is difficult. The fourth implication from this message is just hold on. Just hold on because the victory is coming. The victory is right around the corner. The kingdom of the Lord and his Messiah is going to defeat Satan and the kingdom of this world. He is going to win. The victory is sure. I know that sometimes it feels like Satan is winning. And I know that sometimes it feels that you are experiencing more difficulty and more discouragement and more distress just because you're a follower of Jesus and you're thinking to yourself, why do I do this? Why do I continue to try? Why do I continue to believe? 
It's because you know deep down in your soul that God wins. The kingdom of the Lord and his Messiah will be victorious. Amen? I'm going to leave you with this. I have a friend who often encourages me by telling me this life is not a sprint. This life is a marathon. And that's true, my friends. This life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. But it is a marathon where victory is assured. Next week is the Super Bowl. And no one knows who's going to win the Super Bowl. There are no guarantees. But this morning, there is a guarantee. As we cry out in praise, Oh God, victory is yours. And because victory is God's, it also means if you believe in Jesus, victory is yours as well. Amen? Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.